reading from the first chapter or the fourteenth chapter of First Corinthians, uh, the first section, uh, verses one through twenty-five. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is great, greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves... Excuse me. So with yourselves, if uh, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not unintelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and more. Excuse me. And none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign for, the believe, for believers, but for unbelievers, is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. 
The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. One more verse. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin this morning in our word. Father, we come to You now asking You to open our hearts and our minds to receive through Your Holy Spirit the things You would have for us as we share in Your Word together. We ask, Father, that You would minister to us in such a way that You would cause us to grow in our walk with You, to be an example to others, and to be prepared to minister to those You put across our path. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You for Your Word that gives us insight and an understanding of who You are and what You have done for us. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What? Oh, yes, children. Read, dismiss children. Yeah, it's right there. Uh, The focus that I want to share with you this morning out of a lengthy uh, part of of, of the chapter here, chapter 14, uh, 25, 26 verses, I really want to focus on verses 20 through 25, 26, right along in there. But before I get started, I have a couple of questions. And I put on my notes here, Question mark rhetorical? No, not necessarily. If you have an answer, feel free to offer. Uh, Coming here this morning, what were or are your expectations? What What were you expecting to have happen this morning as you were here at church together? Fellowship, okay? Praising God. Huh? Learning. Okay. Edifying. Building up. This is a big part of that, yes. When you think of worship, what images or thoughts come to mind? When you think of worship, what images or thoughts come to mind? Adoration. Huh? Being in being in love. Okay, yes. Okay, prayer. Daily living. I heard another one. Holy, holy, holy. I like that. Thank you. Joy. Okay. Rendering to God what is His. The reason why I ask these questions, especially is, is if we are, and, I, and the if is, is again, just for the sake of argument, kind of like one of those if-then formulas, if we are the children of God, then coming together to fellowship, which is something that God instructs us to do, 
He tells us that there are things that are going to happen, i.e. we're going to be in His Word, we're going to uh, be taught, we're going to sing, uh, all the things that we do together. Uh, Should we not come with some kind of expectation in the fact that we will be meeting as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, with our Savior and Creator. And that is who we're meeting with as a collective this morning. We should be doing that on a daily basis, obviously. But, collectively together, we have come, and, and the idea of worship is, is we've come to worship, to adore, to praise, uh, to lift up. And sometimes we have, uh, you know, people think, think in terms of, well, the worship is done, now we're going to open the Word. But in reality, worship is every aspect of what we do through the service. This is, this is a worship service. Uh, and every time we pray to God, every time we acknowledge God, every time we read His Word, whether we're alone or together collectively like we are this morning, we are in an act of worship. We're acknowledging that He is the sovereign God. Just by picking up His Word and saying, this is the Word of God, we acknowledge that He is the sovereign God. That He cares for us. What He has done for us. He has lavished His grace on us. And this idea of lavished, uh, poured out, it's in, in abundance is the idea of more than enough to do the job of erasing our sins. What Christ has done for us. So, as we come to worship this morning, I think of, of, of verse 25 here. It says, The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face. This is the unbeliever that came in. He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I, I, you know, so, that picture of, of what should happen. If a, a, a person comes into the worship service and and hears the the worship and the praise and and then hears the word of God and is convicted, he will know that God is in this place. It's quite an interesting picture there, by the way. It says, uh, falling on his face. That's an an act of contrition. It's an act of total surrender. Falling on your face means to bring to bow your head to the ground and acknowledge, and, and that's an acknowledgement of a sovereign over you. So, just keep all of that in mind as we as we read this, uh, go through this. I want to read again, just one more time, verses uh, 20 through 26. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people? And then, and even then, they will not listen to Me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or believers enter, they will, not say that you are, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if you all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted. 
by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. The idea of building up, another word that we use for it is edify, to be built up. An edifice that is built, to build up. So, verse 20 starts off with, Don't be children in your thinking. In other words, we are in a process... As we come to church, as we come and pick up the Word during the week and, and read and study and pray, we are to be in the process of growing. Now, when we came to the Lord, yes, we were babes, as Paul might put it, and needing milk. But you notice he, he comes to a point where he says, but you need to move to a point where you're what? Eating meat. In other words, you're wrestling with the, the tough stuff and... and, and and figuring it out and growing and learning in that. And by the way, you're not going to you're not going to be real successful with that all by yourself. You need to come together and wrestle with it together and 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 uh and instruction and, and, and teaching go with that. So don't be children in your thinking. Then he throws in kind of like a, a sub note here, but in evil, be an infant. What does he mean by that? He just says, don't have a good understanding. You know, drift As you drift into and move into the things of God, move away from the things of the world. Move away from the things that are not of God. And we can get real legalistic about that. That's not the, the, the intent here. The intent is to understand that as we grow in the Lord, those things become more important to us and to glorify God in all that we do with our eyes, with our thoughts, with our, with our mouths, with our actions uh, is, is the idea of, of, of moving away from the things of the world and moving towards the things of the kingdom of God and the way we think. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. Be mature in your thinking. So do not be children in your thinking, but be mature in your thinking. And so you know this idea of mature comes back to, are you growing in the Lord? Knowing God through Christ empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the, the things available to us to do it. If we are believers, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are saved through Jesus Christ. And we have the Word of God. And... Some people will say, well, I don't understand this part, I don't understand this part, whatever. The idea is, is, is the more we read it, the more we wrestle with it, the more we get together and share with it, the more Bible study we get involved with, the more opportunities we have in worship and, and praise and, and, and teaching in the, in, the, in the church, the more we grow in the things of God. So be mature, be growing, if you will, in your thinking. And, and uh, verse 21 is kind of an awkward verse. Uh, it, you know, it says, in the, in the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak 
to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. I'm not 100% sure that I understand everything Paul wants to achieve by putting something from Isaiah right there in that context. Because what it was saying was is that it's going to be a, 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 a foreign people that come to you and, and because you're not following after God, will discipline you. I'll use them to, to punish you and, 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 and bring uh, that about. So it's, it's kind of an awkward verse for me to fully understand. But they will not listen to me. He's speaking of Israel. And in the context of that, at least, one of the things we can look at here is to say, based on what we've just said in verse 20, are you listening? And I think that much we can draw from it. Are you listening? Thus, if you're listening now, thinking about it, wanting to mature, thus or therefore tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. And you might say, okay, how does that you know, come into the idea? The only thing I can give you to direct you to would be to go back to like Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And there was this outflowing of the Holy Spirit among the 120. And they started what? Speaking in tongues. And all the people that were there at Pentecost who were coming from different lands, different nations, different speaking languages, different tongues, were hearing the things about God in their own language. Now, some people say they were here... The, the, the hearing was the miracle they were hearing, or the tongues was the miracle. But the reality is, is that they were hearing in their own language. And so, as unbelievers, they were hearing the things that Christ had done. They were hearing the things of God. They were hearing Old Testament verses being used in, in context of, of being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so, in their own tongues, they were hearing these things. And and so we have this 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 picture of, of of hearing and 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 yet un, you know it was a sign for unbelievers. And throughout the book of Acts, we'll find a number of places where unbelievers, as they came to to know the Lord, says they were having the same response as what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now people are going to ask me. Is tongues a spiritual language or is it a, a language of, of the earth in the sense of a known language? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, there's places where you have to look at it and say he must be speaking of, of, of something that is unique between God and the believer. But what he's talking about here is the common use of tongues that has happened up to uh, in, in, the, in the public format and it was other languages and and so it's for the unbeliever to be attracted to be brought in the believer is already in the church he doesn't need to have that to be confirmed that that God is doing something now prophecy is a sign for not the unbelievers, but the believers. You see, the, the prophecy is the teaching of God. Basically, the, the context here of prophecy, 
a prophet was, you look at the amount of time they spent receiving insight from God versus the amount of time they spent preaching. Uh, the, the primary job of a, of a prophet was to teach the things of God. To bring it together and to make sense out of it for you. And so what we're looking at here is, is the prophecy is for the believer. When we come, I don't know how many of you attended church as a non-believer. Uh, occasionally maybe. Uh, and, and you're sitting there and it's not making a lot of sense. Uh, you're here because, uh, well, in my case, uh, I, I, I was looking... Uh, the, the girl that I was interested in went to church, so she invited me, and I said, sure. Okay. I wasn't getting anything out of church. And it was all... The teaching from the pulpit really had very little impact on me. I wasn't a believer. I, it, it, but the other people, the believers, they're sitting there and getting something from it. Okay, today as we talk together, uh, as as believers brought in together, we open the Word of God and we read it and share it together. And and as God uses me to teach, maybe something fresh will come and 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 excite you and, and, and inspire you. But the idea is, it's for us to be encouraged, built up, edified. Now, I, I love this, this, this picture of, of verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will, not say that you, will they not say that you are out of your minds? I'm cautious as to how I deal with this verse in, in, in the sense of, of, of explaining it. Only because I don't want to offend anybody. But speaking in tongues, if that's all, it's, if that's the main focus of a service, then the the the, the person comes in and, and all he hears is people speaking. Strange languages that uh, we put it that way are un you know languages that are not familiar and and he you know this is crazy and if they're not doing it in order which was seemed to be a problem at the Corinthian church they were just out of order and and and, and this type of thing with it it would sound like a time of of a bunch of of people who just didn't have it together. I didn't understand it. It had no meaning to me. And it sounds so strange. Now, I have been to some churches that are extreme Pentecostal in the context of the way they use their gifts, and they would fall in the category, I'm afraid, of Corinth. And I have to say that even as a believer... It's uncomfortable because I am not participating in the same level of, of what they are doing. I feel like 
they might are they looking at me like I'm some kind of strange person or I'm an unbeliever or you know and it leaves me uncomfortable So he says, if the whole church comes together and they all speak in tongues, and the implication is this is their service, speaking in tongues, and outside uh, 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 the unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if a prophecy, in other words, if, if the teaching of the Word and, uh, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted. The word convicted literally means that he's he's brought to his knees in in sorrow for his sins. In other words, he's come in, he's heard words that he could understand, and at that point in time, he couldn't have come in at a more perfect time because God spoke directly to his heart and brought him to the knees. I have heard so many testimonies where that has happened. Somebody who was not a regular churchgoer comes to church and for the first time he sits there and out of politeness basically listens to the sermon and the sermon turns around and starts to talk about him have you ever felt that the pastor was was speaking about you i've had that feeling you know and and in some cases because i've counseled with him i'm thinking wait a minute here you know uh but the idea is, is that, that that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to bring us to a point of conviction. And by the way, not just the unbeliever, but the believer as well. He wants to bring us all to a point of, as we hear the words spoken plainly in, in, a, in our common language, that our minds will be opened. The Holy Spirit will work in us and we will see, oh, that's me. And the idea of the conviction coming over us. He is, this outsider, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, Totally contrite. He's, he's totally convicted. He will worship God and declare that God is really among them. I was in uh, a service in the Bay Area where I went to school and this this church rarely did altar calls. But this particular Sunday, after the service, you know, after the, the preaching and the teaching, the pastor did an altar call. And this man came forward and literally went to his knees. A good description of this man. And he said, I've never heard this before. My grandmother used to take me to church, but I've never heard this before. He was convicted to his heart. He was called to account. 
by the Holy Spirit. And the secrets of his heart were disclosed. By the way, it doesn't mean that they were disclosed to everybody else. The idea of disclosed here was, is the intent to say disclosed to him. Is it possible that you have some things in your heart that you have kind of built over or covered up and all of a sudden you're in, in a situation and you realize, oh, I did this or I did that and I didn't see how that happened to this and the next thing you know you realize, I, I need to take care of this. I have sinned. It's disclosed to you. It's made clear. It's made to a point I understand who I am. The secret of his heart was disclosed to him. Falls on his face. Again, the idea of, of, of contrite, broken. And he worships God. That idea of, declare, of worshiping God is that he declares God is in this place. And he comes to him and wants to enter into his grace. So if this is this idea of, of speaking the Word of God, prophesying, teaching the Word of God, uh, and, and people come to the Lord and are convicted of sin, so what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, has a lesson, has a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Come together to worship. We sing together. Worship. There is a lesson preached. Worship. There's a revelation, application pointed out. Worship. Tongues with an interpretation, an act of worship. Let all things be done for building up. A few weeks ago, the, there was a message on out of chapter 11 talking about communion. And I just want to go back to that lesson. It actually uh, starts with verse 23 of, of chapter 11, but I, I actually want to drop down to verse 28. Paul says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What Paul is basically telling us here is, is that we've just been worshiping together. We've sung together. We've, we've shared the message together. We've been in the Word together. We've had a time of teaching together. And is there, as, as we move to communion, it's a time of reflection. Examine ourselves. And by the way, again, this is something, the examining ourselves is something we should do more than once a week at communion. 
But the idea is, is that this is we've come together, we're worshiped together, and now we're going to share the, the, the communion together. And this is a time of self-examination. Lord, reveal to me any sin that I need to confess. Lord, bring to mind anything I need to work out with someone else. Lord, forgive me for I have sinned against You. And, and, and uh, it's a time, again, self-examination means the idea of, of specifics, not generalities. Oh, I have sinned. No, Lord, I have spoken this or said that or injured this person. Even praying for God to work out a way of solution to that situation. There might even be times where you might choose not to take communion until that is worked out. But this picture of of, of what Paul points out here, like I said, is let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We share in communion. And by the way, communion is an act of worship. What are we doing at the communion table? We're acknowledging a number of things. One is we're worshiping God and saying thank you. The idea of Eucharist, thank you. The the you know it's a it's a time of, of of saying thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me, for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And and we reflect before God what what He has has, has done for us, is doing in us, and looking ahead to what He will be doing to us for us in the context of eternity. All these things are an opportunity around the table. And so we have this 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 time of, of reflection and thanking and thanksgiving, an act of worship. The God of all creation so loved us that He gave, He sacrificed His Son, His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life resulting in an awesome picture of what comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What is mortal, this earthly tent that we live in, will be swallowed up by life. Eternity. Isn't that a beautiful picture? What is mortal, this earthly tent, will be swallowed up by life. It's part of the great hope that God has given us. And by the way, it's not a wishy-washy, I hope it doesn't rain kind of hope. It's a hope cast in cement. This is going to happen. We have two trays up here. And ever since the the COVID time, we have not passed the trays around. So we have, uh, during communion, as we sing the communion song, you may come up here and Pick the communion up. And uh, this this tray on this side has 
the cup in a sealed little packet and with the, the wafer at the top and then you break the second seal and that is where the fruit of the vine is. And in this side we have our communion in two cups. The bottom cup holds the bread. The top cup holds the fruit of the vine. And so we have that, uh, whichever one you're most comfortable taking. We ask you to come and pick up the communion and go back to your seat. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together. And uh, I actually, you know, some time ago when we were doing it this way, I had a couple of people ask, well, is it okay to pick it up and pick up my wife's at the same time or my son's at the same time or whatever? Absolutely. You may pick up two and bring one back to the person you're sitting with, this type of thing. Not a problem. So uh, while we sing our communion song, uh, feel free to come up here and uh, pick up the communion. Again, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together. I, I think you'll um, be reminded about uh, why we celebrate communion by these words. Go ahead. Thank you. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes to them, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let us share the bread together. In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let us share this. In communion, we celebrate what Christ did on the cross, but we also celebrate the great hope until He comes. He shares with us that this is something that He will not do again until He is with us. I believe that will be the marriage feast. And what an awesome time that we look forward to. And yet right now, we rest with confidence in that hope. Jesus Christ has saved us. He loves us. He has given us His Word that we might know Him better. And He has indwelled us through the Holy Spirit that we might have a, a supernatural relationship. I had somebody say, well, I'm only... You know, we were talking about something and he says, well, I'm only a person, I'm only a man... And I said, not as a Christian. You're a supernatural person because you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You have eternal life. Isn't that an amazing thought? And we long for that day when all will be surrendered in His second coming and the marriage feast and eternity is open to us. That's all for us. I just I get amazed every time I think about it. Would you stand as we close? And uh, we have some refreshments in the back. And so if you have a chance to, to, uh, to visit for a little while and, and fellowship some more, feel free to do so. And, and thank you for being here this morning. That uh, as you mature in Christ, you're able to uh, describe more complex doctrines and theologies, but as uh, children in church and as infants in Christ, there are some things that are great um, truths about God. And uh, one song that uh, typically is sang by the kids is God is so good. And I think sometimes it's a good reminder for us to sing some of these simple songs to remember the basics to think back about uh, why we worship Him and why um, we're here today and, and do this because God is so good.
bless you.